The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product Recording or in service, progress. nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everyone. This is Cheryl Cummings. I'm the chair of the Multicultural Affairs Committee, and we are so excited that you're here to engage in this really important conversation. Um, as some people may remember, we started this conversation at the convention in Omaha, and um, it ended sooner than we expected. And so we thought there would be value in continuing the conversation. So if you weren't there with us in Omaha, welcome. If you were there, welcome. Um, and as he said, this is a conversation that we are grateful to um, Michael Garrett, who will facilitate, and our panelists, um, because I'm sure, like like everyone else, we've we've all heard um, people using this term critical race theory in a way to bludgeon and to destroy American history, um, and so we're hoping we hope by giving us this forum this evening that we will have a chance to learn more and to understand sort of what is true and not true about uh, this particular topic, critical race theory. And before I turn it over to Michael, I just wanna say two things. One is that um, MCAC is uh, partnering or co-sponsoring um, co book reading with um, with uh, Citizen um, Council of Citizens uh, with Low Vision Council International. Low Vision um, International. Um, somebody needs to mute. I got him, Cheryl. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and and that um, that they're reading the Vanishing Half, and um, that will be announced hopefully soon. Um, and the discussions, I think, are happening on the 6th and 7th of October. Second thing Don't I want to... forget BPI. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. BPI is also co-sponsoring. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, and, and then the other thing I want to announce is that... Yeah, yes, I don't know. Uh-oh. Somebody else needs to mute. Yeah. Okay, the final thing I'd like to share is that um, the Multicultural Affairs Committee is sponsoring its biannual focus call. And we are looking at a book talking about Native American life, like contemporary life. Um, and I'll have that title for you by the end of this um, discussion. So. Um, I'll stop talking and invite our facilitator for the evening, Michael Garrett, to lead us. Michael? All right. Well, good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us again. As Cheryl mentioned, we uh, we began this conversation uh, in, in Omaha at the ACB convention, and we uh, there were hands raised uh, at the at the end of our time, and and uh, so we thought, well, perhaps uh, people still wanted to talk about the subject, and so we we wanted to 
to uh, give people an opportunity to do so even on this evening. Uh, a couple of our panelists were supposed to join me this evening. I hope they'll they'll come in pretty soon. Uh, hopefully, uh, Sam Shaw and and uh, Gabriel Lopez Capati were are supposed to be here. So <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm here, Michael. <laughs> oh, there's Gabe. There's Gabe. Good. Yes. Good. Good. Uh, Pam and I uh, did did this uh, uh, topic uh, on Friday on another show, and uh, yeah, we filled up the we filled up the time allotted. So before we open it up and start the dis- start the discussion, I, I kind of wanted to <clears throat> sort of reframe where we uh, where we were uh, and 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 add a couple of other things. Uh, and because I want to give us some things to think about, also, and um, I heard one of the, as you would call her, one of the 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 primary authors or or discoverers of of critical race theory, um, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. I heard her on an interview last week. And she, they, they asked her the question, what is critical race theory? And she said, she made a, a, a profound statement that stuck in my mind. She, she went on to explain it more, but what stuck in my mind was, how do you read America? And I, I took that to mean, for me, well, you know, how do you look at them? How do you read America? When you turn back the pages of history in America, how do you read it? How do you read it decade by decade, uh, year by year, generation by generation? What what does it say? What does it say to 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 to, to you or to me? We will see it differently because we look at it through different lenses. I see the world through uh, my experiences. You see the world through your experiences. But we're all in America. And so uh, before I add on to that, I want, what I want to say also is that we, we – we began this discussion, and I want to borrow from from President Kennedy. We we celebrated here in Houston uh, last week or so the the address he made about the America going to the moon in nineteen. I guess it was about nineteen sixty or sixty one. Maybe it was sixty two because I think it was the seventh. 50th, 60th anniversary of that particular speech in Rice Stadium. He said, we are beginning this conversation, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And we, so I borrowed that to say, this is a conversation. It's not easy. It's a hard conversation, but it must be done. If you remember, uh, he made that statement in the early 60s, but it took us to 1969 to make it to the moon. So 
I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of critical race theory or or racism itself in in America, but we have to tackle the conversation. We have to have the conversation. And what I want to point out, too, is that, as we've mentioned in, in our first conversation, critical race theory is not the elephant in the room. Because when we define it, it is, it is, it begins as an academic construct that looks at the laws and legislation in our country through the lens of race. So as I said, if you read America, see it through different lenses. So let me throw some things out. Um, let's go all the way back to some of the founding founding documents of our country and and some of the very early early uh documents uh, in, in our country um Abraham Lincoln said you know four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liber- liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. For that, our 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 in our Constitution, the Declaration, the de- Declaration of uh, Independence, says words to the effect that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and and there are certain no, Certain inalienable rights include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then, I want: how deep does it go when you when you stand to give the pledge of allegiance? Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and the and the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Indivisible, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. When you say all of those words, what does it really mean? Justice for all, liberty, all men are created equal. All men, all men must must have have the right for the pursuit of happiness. All men must have justice. What does that really mean? So, 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 I want us to frame those ideas as we go forward, because I, I want us all to think of ourselves as Americans. And I have some other questions that I'll ask later on. Gabe, you want to jump in? Sure. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having us, and thanks for uh, thanks to Cheryl and the entire committee for for giving the opportunity. Because I know a lot of like like Cheryl and you said, Michael, there were a lot of hands still raised in the room when we had to unfortunately finish our conversation um, due to time restraints. I, I wanted to start, Michael, by complimenting 
the, the uh, a little bit of what you said uh, and kind of, you know, just bouncing off of what you already said. Um, I love the way in which you started us off with the uh, quote from Kennedy and the uh, comparison in terms of when was that conversation started and when we actually got to the moon. So that's, that's our first clue. Um, critical race theory is something that we need to start talking about more and more. And with, with these conversations, we're not gonna solve the issues that are explained within critical race theory. We are just starting the conversation and it is gonna take time. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say was also how you um, ex exposed how the... Um... Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. So the, the way in which the, our, our founding fathers actually created a set of uh, laws, regulations, documents that would uh, subsequently serve as a framework for how we live in America. Um, I like to even take it, you know, I, I like to even take it a, a step even further. And, and I think this will help many of us understand uh, how, how the uh, concept of critical race theory analyzes these documents, not only by analyzing or reading the exact words that came as a result, but actually the sentiment and the spirit behind the motivation to write those documents and why, you know, always asking ourselves why, what was the intent, what was the purpose, what was the spirit behind creating these laws, regulations and documents that would, um, that would uh, be the framework of life in America for everyone. And finally, uh, to talk a little bit about the lens from which uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me uh, because obviously the history of every one of us is so unique and so different. And obviously uh, we're not gonna be able to uh, discuss our own individual um, experiences as part of this great nation, but critical race theory allows us the opportunity to conglomerate ourselves within a group with a, with a, with a set of shared experiences. Uh, and that, you know, because there's, I am another big, big thing for me is numbers. There's, there's proof in numbers. And we talked about this at Omaha, uh, numbers don't lie. So, you know, it's not the same thing to say, I felt this as I came to America or as I got immersed into American society. It's not the same as me saying it as 5 million of us sharing that same experience. So, you know, once we have that set of shared experiences, we, we start... Uh, acquiring that that power and the only way in which we can quantify and qualify those numbers and those experiences is by actually talking about them so <clears throat> the the 
So let's start to dig into some of this. Because the the question revolves around um let's let's throw this question because this is this is what happens where people feel sensitive about it. So is America currently suffering from systematic racism? If so, what aspect? Floor is open. Gabe, you can take a stab at it or somebody else can jump in. Well, <laughs> since you put me on the spot, I, I will say, uh, unfortunately, yes. Um, and and this, uh, you know, with all my heart, I'm going to say this. Uh, critical race theory does uh, highlight the existence of a systemic racism. Having said that, this doesn't mean, like many people have taken it to the extreme of thinking that you have to apologize for being white or you have to feel bad. No, it's not about that. It's more about understanding what led to this point and why is it that even though we today say that we are not racist, how come the system in which we live and the system that we continue perpetuating still tends to, to, to favor some and you know, create a huge gap and 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 not in favor, to say the least, others. Um, and for this, I, I think, you know, an example speaks speaks so many, so many colors. Um, you know, I live in Miami and we have a, a large uh, population uh, immigration from Haiti. And I noticed uh, a lot a lot of the uh, uh, people who who work at the paratransit service here in Miami are Haitian drivers. And I noticed that they're always afraid, terrified, if not, of my guide dog, Posh. And I'm like, you know, I start a conversation and I tell them, look, it's this, look at that face. It's the sweetest. Do you think this dog with a pink nose and a long, you know, long uh, uh, tongue wanting to kiss you is going to ever harm you? And one time one person started this conversation with me and they told me, I can see your dog is very pretty and I can see that your dog it's, it's cute and adorable, but I just want to explain to you that in Haiti, uh, when we were under slavery, we, uh, you know, dogs were used to scare slaves or to, to actually um, threaten slaves into, into forced labor. And today, I know, I understand that your dog is pretty and that your dog is educated and it's a beautiful animal. But still, that still is within me because I cannot get rid of it because I grew up listening and hearing that dogs were mean to us. So I, I just wanted to put out that comparison because if we take that to a more, I don't know, macro level, we will understand why I said that many people uh, within the system were uh, were left out or were discriminated against and they still feel that the system has not been corrected in a way that it will give them a safe space or an equal footing because things you know were just left uh, just 
precisely because we never asked the question. Like I asked this driver, why is it that people from Haiti are afraid of dogs? So this is CRT. This is critical race theory. It's asking the people themselves, why is it that you feel that racism continues to be systemic and what can we do to address it? Anybody else want to uh, chime in on that? Yeah, I just want to add real quickly. This is a Maurice Diamond. Uh, last semester, I had the luxury to take course in critical race theory uh, in my graduate states. And, you know, it seems like oh, there are 12 tenets of critical race theory, right? And the first one, discusses the permanence of race and racism. Out of all the 12 tenets of critical race theory, we as a, as a whole, as a country, are still at the first tenet, okay, trying to accept the permanence of race and racism. And so when you ask the question, is systemic racism a problem? Yes, it's here, it's a problem. And even trying to, to cultivate the acknowledgement of that within the different societal sectors is, is problematic, right? That's one of the reasons we have the divisions concerning um, should critical race theory be taught in schools. And I was not privy to your discussion at the, at the conference. So I don't know if you all really I don't know what you discussed there. So um, I'm hoping that that you really laid a foundation for critical race theory and, and the ways that it's been it's been misinterpreted and mishandled by um, conservatives right now as the um, kind of political dog whistle has become. But I just wanted to chime in that tenant one of critical race theory as the lens to look at the way our laws and legislation have been set up, the way those laws kind of reinforce and even create a racialized system are real. And that's what critical race theory does. And that is the focus of critical race theory and people want to take critical race theory and apply it across disciplines and, and issues. And I think that is wonderful and well because racism and the 12 tenets of critical race theory are an excellent lens through which to look at how racism is reinforced in our society. But I also think it's important to remember where it came from, what it's grounded in, and not to um, amplify it into some type of more than into something soft. That's the Okay, let me jump in real quick. Um, if you would like to um, chime in, if you could raise your hand and I can call on you. Um, um, so Alt Y on the PC, Option Y on the Mac, Star 9 on the phone. Uh, locate the more button on the app, and under that you'll have raise your hand. Okay, and we.
We have some hands. Good, good. And Regina Marie, you can unmute. There we go. It took a couple of taps to get that unmuted. Sorry about that. Um, thank you for this opportunity. And Michael and Dave, I, I just really love the way you introduced this. And after our last workshop in Omaha, I took a few minutes and then I kept on every every so often taking some time to think about an analogy that might help with this. And I came up with one and I don't know if it's a good one, but I'll, I'll try it. So those of you that know anything about construction or have ever seen something built, so there's a foundation, right? You got to put that down first. And if you don't set things, like they have to do analysis to make sure that that foundation is set on something that will hold a house or a building, whatever you're building. And from what I understand, if there's something that seeps moisture into that foundation, then the whole house, you can build this beautiful house. It can look good, right? But eventually there's going to be problems with the construction of that house and it's going to become systemic. And so I, I think as America was being built, it was built on some racist constructs and racist practices. And it, it started off the house and no matter how much we paint over it, it's still there because it is a foundation. And I don't know if that helps the discussion, but that's what I came up with. And <laughs> so I just wanted to offer that. Thank you, right. Regina. Love it, Regina. Very powerful. Very much. Um, Cheryl. Very Right. So that's hard to follow because that is like a, a really powerful depiction and I think representation. Um, but I, I want to say that I, I'm no expert, just did a little bit of reading um, in preparation for a meeting in Omaha and like reviewed some of my notes thinking about tonight. So I think what I walked away with and what I think people um, pretend not to understand is that critical race theory grew out of the legal. It is not and has never been something that is taught in any particular any school except in law school. And then as as, as you as you know everybody has said before its aim is to like force people not well not force but let's say its aim is to help people sort of expand their understanding of the way the law works because you know i think historically and this is where it maybe gets a little muddled we're all sort of thought we're, we're all taught that the law is this like neutral objective thing that is just functioning. And so 
even though our life experience showed us that, you know, if a white person and a black person are facing the same sort of um, um, charge and they're in the law, in the, in the legal system, that so often it's the black person who ends up with the harsher sentence and is put away. Um, and, and for whatever, you know, for whatever reason, we all, um, I feel as Americans, we were like told that, oh, there's nothing wrong with the system. That's just the way it works. And as we're sort of being told this, I think, to the general public, I feel, and again, just based on the little reading I did, I feel that the academics within the legal field started looking at the way the system was working. And they said, that can't be true. <laughs> that really can't be sort of the way things are working. And then people started to put on another lens, another way of trying to understand what was happening with the law. And the, the and out of that grew, grew this sort of theoretical framework that talked about the role of race um, in the way that the legal system functions. So, I mean, that, that I think, you know, is, at least from my understanding, sort of where critical race theory comes. Of course, now it's in our general population lexicon, and we're all using it. And and um, I think that's where um, Regina's analogy then makes a lot of sense and helps us to think through, you know, sort of uh, if we have systems that are racist then how do we work to undo those? So that's it. And that's, right. a, that's a good question. And you have no more hands, guys. So, so let's look at- oh, how, We got how, one now. We got Frank Welty. Frank Welty. Go right. ahead, Frank. In some of the reading that I've done about racism in the last few years, I think one thing I've learned is that I think that, and I'm speaking for white folks like me, I think that what we don't understand about racism is that we tend to personalize it in the sense that we think that somebody is racist if they're haters. That is, you know, like, so if they, they we think of say that the Ku Klux Klan member or the neo-Nazi who hates those people, right? And so we think that if we're not one of those hater types, that racism has nothing to do with us. You know, like, hey, I'm not a Klansman. I'm not a Nazi. I'm good. So what, what's, why, why are you complaining to me, right? And, that's, and what we don't realize is that racism isn't just about how people feel, but it's about the economic and social and political structures that are set up that, that can affect outcomes for folks of different races. So for example, if, and so what, when we talk about racism, especially something like structural racism, it's not necessarily about hate, but it's about the way things are set up so that they cause disparate outcome depending on uh, race. So for example, um, a, an education system might be racist, not because all the teachers are bigots, but because the way it's set up it ends up um, funneling, say, black kids 
more into uh, um, blue collar um, out, uh, fields as opposed to doing a better job of funneling white kids into the university track. Um, a, a, uh, a, a criminal justice system could be said to be racist, not, not necessarily because all the cops hate black people or all the judges hate black people or all that, whatever. But it can be that when you look at the way the system treats people, it has this tendency to, to uh, be more quick to uh, intervene in, in and to arrest people in areas that are predominantly people of color, or it's more likely to give harsh sentences to people who are, are uh, accused of crimes and convicted depending on their color and, and, and so forth. And so when we talk about racism, that's what we need to understand is it's, it's not just about attitude, it's, it's about what the system does to people. Now, Frank really answered the second part of that question. Are we suffering from systematic racism and, and in what aspects? Talk about the prison system or the criminal justice system, when you talk about economics, when you talk about education, when you talk about health care. Uh, you can go into e any of those areas and you'll find that there is a difference in the way uh, people of color are treated as, as opposed, I mean, and this is just a fact, this is a fact uh, that, that people of color, unless you have uh, a certain, unless you carry yourself in a certain way, and unless, unless you have uh, insurance, or you can actually pay for your, for your for the for the services, you're treated you're treated differently as a person of color. And so, so 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 that's what systematic uh, racism is. And, and and look, let me throw out a statistic here. Somebody somebody else talked about the numbers earlier. Uh, oh, I think it was Gabe talking about the numbers. It, uh, it is it is it is estimated that a uh, a, a white family household has assets eight times that of a black family household. So there therein is a wealth gap. And so certainly the, the white family can do more with in this economy, the American economy. I mean, right now, of course, everybody's being uh, affected by the, the high inflation. But, 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 but if you have eight times more assets than your neighbor across the track, you can do more in an economy than than your neighbor can, and and so, but that's where we are. From the average household, uh, those are the kinds of things that that we're dealing with. So, 
what 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 can we do what can we do to sort of to try to bridge some of these gaps what 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 what, what can we do what you know i mentioned a lot of areas uh, economics healthcare education what what can we do to start trying to bridge bridge these gaps all right and we have a hand. We have uh, Frank Welty again. Uh, go ahead, Frank. Trouble unmuting. Go ahead, Frank. There, uh, there was a, a thing that came out about racism about the same time that COVID started, and it went something like this. Racism is like is like COVID. Assume you have it, try not to spread it, and listen to the experts. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, think, I think the second, second thing is to, for us to understand that we don't have to shy away from racism and, and, and take it personally that, you know, if, if, I, if, if I recognize that I, I live in a racist society, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. But what it does mean that if I'm aware and knowing what's going on, then, then I need to be willing to help solve that. And I think that whether that be in my personal relationships with other people or whether it means in my business decisions, if I'm in a position, you know, to the extent that I have can make decisions about where I, where I buy things, what, you know, who I hire, whatever that I, I take that into consideration or would it, it, in my investing that I consider like are, are the companies that I'm investing contributing to a, solving the problem or are they part of the or in my political de decision are the candidates that I'm supporting are, are they perpetuating a bad system or are there people who are trying to make it better and I think that that's what we all can do and we don't have to hate ourselves or feel guilty about ourselves. But what we can do is make up our minds that to the extent that we have ability and we all do in different ways that we can, we can make things better, but we have to first realize that there's actually a problem before we can fix it. Okay. So let me, let me throw another question out. Rave. We don't have any hands. Oh, um, we got, you got two hands. Got two hands. Okay. All right. Let, I'll me, hold uh, let me go ahead. It'll, it'll, it'll okay. Work. It'll let me work. take uh, Laura Hernandez. You may unmute. Hello, everyone. Uh, Leo Semchanya, greetings. Uh, my name is Laura. I reside currently on Yahaviatam Serrano territory. And uh, my ancestors are Yoam Yaki and Purepecha. So uh, I really want to thank you offer this conversation. I think it's very much needed. And, and honestly, I've uh, pretty much waited my whole life for the blind and low vision community to finally get to a moment like this. Um, because uh, to answer your first question about is, is there systemic racism? Um, there very much is. Um, as we've, as you mentioned, you know, healthcare, higher education, um, even 
grassroots organizing like it's it's everywhere and um and it's understandable um because of our complex history and different perspectives on history um but going into the the second part of your question is like what can we do i for myself um i i'm i am an in indigenous chicana and i understand that sometimes i've had to compartmentalize you know aspects of my identity in the different settings right if i'm in higher education you know they they not only see me by the color of my skin but they see me because of my disability and uh dr kimberly crenshaw not only brought forth critical race theory but as well as the term intersectionality which helps us understand that that you know some of us out here some of our experiences are multifaceted you know we're not just one thing you know we're, we're many many aspects and to finally have a term to be able to express and maybe get close to explaining to those who do not understand of what that means um is wonderful because a lot of the times we've been kept out of the conversation because of the fact of people not understanding and of being dismissed um i've been in many uh conversations within the blind community where as soon as i mention my identity or uh or acknowledge you know uh land acknowledgments like i did right now um the attitude changes the mood changes and i get dismissed and it's unfortunate because um we we're all respectful you know and and we should all be able to listen to each other and understand that there are many of us out here with different perspectives and experiences but if we all have uh respect and understanding we can move forward and um so that's one thing that i i feel like we can do to answer your question of what can be done is to have the patience to listen you know if it's somebody's experience that you may not understand or they may throw out terms that you've only heard about before but you don't really understand instead of dismissing them have patience to understand where they're coming from and to understand that there's people with different stories um i am a big advocate for including uh land acknowledgments because a lot of times um especially here in this united states territory um we view are we view it as you know from um the birth of america and 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 from then on but there is an erasure of of native culture that was here before that and i'm not saying this so that people could feel bad about what happened it's just the truth it's the facts and to those of us that are uh indigenous to be treated as if we did not exist or as if we still don't continue to exist is um disheartening and it it dismissive 
because our communities are still here. They've always been here. And, and, um, and we don't want to be acknowledged to make anybody feel bad. We want to be acknowledged to know that we are living in here. And so land acknowledgements, I think, is another um, answer of what can be done um, to acknowledge, uh, you know, the, the stewards of the land that before, you know, colonization. Um, and uh, I, I feel like a lot of times people are like, well, I don't know. I don't know, you know, who they are. I don't know who the indigenous people of this land are. Or, and that's another issue, right? <laughs> Is that that's the product of erasure. That's the product of racism. Um, because the fact that people don't know that is, is the answer to, to that. And um, so to kindly, you know, answer, you know, people to be, to understand like, okay, I understand that you don't know. Um, let me teach you. And to have the patience to be taught, I think is needed. And, um, and the respect to try to understand is needed. Um, so I, I don't want to take up too much of everybody's time, uh, but I just wanted to say that and thank you so much for allowing me to speak. Thank you. Uh, thank you've you. got three more hands, Michael. You have Gabriel oh, Lopez Cafati. Oh, oh. Hey, hold on. Let me let, let me oh. let me jump in. Right, let me jump in. Okay. She brought up she brought up a couple of things that 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 I, I really kind of wanted to. We're gonna we're gonna keep this. We're gonna keep this question, but I just kind of I'm gonna add to it a little bit. She she brought up. She said people we can teach people. People need to be taught. And we had a we had a a, a, a board. Uh, uh, strategy meeting a, a couple of years ago when we introduced this subject to the board. And one of the things that I recall uh, the facilitator talking talking about, uh, because we actually had an open discussion, we talked about um, uh, some of the behavior is taught. And so if you can teach, if, you, if it can be taught in the beginning, it can be retaught now. People can learn. We're always learning. If you're not learning, you're not living. You know? So, 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 keep that in mind as we work toward some solutions to 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 help in this uh, uh, in situation. Okay, go ahead, Gabe. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Michael. So, uh, very, very. Uh, eloquent words, uh, both uh, Frank and Laura. And um, I don't know if I'm going to say anything much different. I'm just probably going to add a little bit to what Frank was saying. Uh, first of all, I can't help but uh, find a, a comparison between uh, racism and uh, sometimes bigotry against the LGBT community. Um, what Frank said was so true. Um, people we're not we're not talking about KKK or neo-Nazi. We're talking about the people who say, oh, no, I'm not racist. I have a lot of black friends. Uh, but, you know, if you ask them, you know, how do you how would you feel about one of your daughters marrying a black man? They would say, oh, no, 
you know, same thing with um, the LGBTQ community. People can say, oh, I'm not a bigot. I have a lot of gay friends. But I, I mean, would how would you feel? Would you be accepting of a uh, gay or lesbian son and, or daughter? Then that you know, that's where it changes. They say, oh, no, I don't want that for myself. So it's a matter of uh, education, first of all, and learning that we are all, we are all equal. And uh, second of all, and, and this is what I always like to stress on people, um, there's no coincidence. Uh, like you said, Michael, there's, uh, bringing it back home to critical race theory, there's no coincidence that there are all the areas that you've mentioned. Uh, socioeconomic opportunity, uh, access to higher education, treatment by law enforcement, and uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, prison system. Uh, all the areas in which uh, people of color are disadvantaged is not a coincidence. So that's where we need the first step, uh, which I think we are taking that first step, which is acknowledging that there is something systematically wrong, that there is something, like I said, you know, I always like to go underneath. Let's, you know, let's scratch and scrape and dig until we get to the spirit, to the genesis of how this all started, how it all surfaced and address that, not address the actual consequences or the effects of the systemic racism. And finally, I couldn't agree more with uh, Frank. I, I always tell people, not only educate yourselves, but also get to know people running for office, get to know what they stand for, get to know what their values are. And I'm not talking about just the White House or Washington, D.C. Start from your city councilors, people within the local governments, and from there up so you can start making a difference within your community and up towards the uh, national um, uh, perspective. Okay. What do we got? All right, we have Susan. Uh, you can unmute. Okay. <clears throat> um. As often, maybe I have a little bit different perspective just because of the life I've lived. Somebody said earlier on, we've all had different experiences. Um, to the question of what can we collectively or individually do, um, I think one of the most important things we can do is to recognize and be more open to all our potential allies which sometimes our own um, emotional blindness keeps us from recognizing our allies. One of the things that I was aware of in this conversation thus far, which is quite the same as the majority of, of conversations about race in the United States, um, one of the things that I was noticing was the, and if you go back and listen to the recording from the beginning of this meeting, there's reference, you know, black, white, black, white, black people, this, white people, that, black, white, black, white. And until, I'm sorry, I think your name is Ms. Hernandez, the person who spoke about land acknowledgement. 
I don't think there was any acknowledgement of anybody else in this country except Black American people and and European American people. And there is the catchphrase "people of color," which often, you know, is somewhat limited in how people envision this. And just speaking for myself, um, I've had my DNA done, and I have absolutely no European DNA, and I also have absolutely no African DNA. And um, so it's like, okay, well, where where is my home in this conversation? And I think the fact that there, I don't think I heard anybody acknowledge the first Americans, the, the first people, the Native people who were here in the conversation up until um, the speaker, who I think was Ms. Hernandez, but I'm very bad at names, was talking about land acknowledgement and being of Native blood. Um, it's really important that we, even in MCAC and CB, um, CCB, IDC, really start paying attention to how we tend to frame racism as black, white, black, white, because there are an awful lot of other people in this country who are Americans, who are part of this country, some of whom were here a long time ago before <clears throat> any of the rest of us came in. So I would ask that as one thing. And the other thing is when we're talking about the black, white, black, white thing, um, <clears throat> quite often I notice among my friends um, who are people of color, and even in my own speech, um, I have found myself saying, well, white people do this and white people do that, and you know how white people are. And I wouldn't tolerate that if my friends were talking about, well, black people do this or gay people do that or old people do that, you know, just lumping everybody together um, because, you know, hi, Frank Welty. Um, we do have allies who are European-American. Um, and there's a wonderful book, which I've recommended to people before. It's called, and it is available in audio because it's the only way I hear books. I can't remember if I got it from Bard or from Audible.com, but it's it's called White Trash. And I think the subtitle is The 400-Year Untold History of Class in America. And it gives an insight into the working poor white people in this country, both back in colonial days up until the present time, and how those folks um, very much are our potential allies because the people who have power have shoved them to the side, sometimes talking to them as if they're working in their favor, but they're actually not. And um, these folks are also our potential allies. And I think if we emotionally blind ourselves to potential allies, we weaken ourselves. And if you wrap all of us together, um, who in various ways have been pushed to the side and treated quite badly and sometimes quite cruelly and violently, and I include myself in that, um, you know, being beaten up a lot for being a Jap and a slant eye, physically assaulted. Um, I think until, you know, we can all band together, like all of us, including very poor, less educated white folks, people who've been pushed to the edges, until we 
embrace all of us, we're not going to get so far. And if we can embrace all of us, we're in the majority. You know, there's more of us (laughs) than the people in power. And I think it's important for us to examine our own hearts. And I've had to certainly still continue to work on when I get into my well, white people did this and this white guy today did that, that I'm doing the same thing of just lumping people together and not seeing them. So I invite people to think about that. So I'm done. All right. Well, let, me, got... let me react. Okay, okay go ahead, Michael. A little bit to, to, to what Susan said. You know, uh, uh, I I I hear what you, what you're saying, Susan. Uh, but I I want us to always be uh, op- operate from a sense of reality, and uh, you know everybody has their own sensitivities about about you know how we what we say, how we say things, that 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 sort of thing. And I and and, and I, I hear that. Uh, you mentioned the fact that we talk about black. White, black, white, and we we mentioned a lot of it, uh, the black, white issue predominantly. But 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 that was the major. When you go back to history, that was the major issue. Uh, and and because I have another question I want to ask people, that was the major issue: the slave, the the the, the slave trade, the the way the slavery itself. And so yes. Uh, we under, I understand that that people of of other races, uh, people, non-white races, are discriminated against. But so sometimes we will we may we may lean on the black-white issue because it it is a significant issue. Uh, and no, people of color is not a catch is not necessarily a catch-all. Just to just to throw it out there. Uh, we recognize that people of all races in some way are being discriminated against. You know, our, 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 our Latino or Hispanic brothers and sisters are really f- feeling the pinch right now. So, so we, we, it's not intended, it's not intended to slight anybody, but because we are working toward Diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion, and by doing so, we're, we're we're trying to make sure that life for every person who's of any uh, any race can still uh, can help this country live up to what its what its founding fathers put on paper. This is Susan again. Um, I just wanted to say I thought okay when I hear I hear you, but dot, 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 I think, okay. Um, first of all, my answer oh, was in boy. response to what can we do now that would be effective? And I in no way mean to diminish in any way what, you know, the history of this country is, you know, after settlers came in and wiped out the a lot of the Native population, which was a huge, gigantic genocide. Um, you know, that what happened to Black Americans and what is still today happening to Black Americans absolutely, totally sucks 
compared to what a lot of other people have gone through. My mother, who was born in Japan, always talked about, you know, the incarceration and um, during World War II when she and my family were imprisoned. And she would always say, but what happened to us is so much less than what is done to Black people in this country in the past and now. This is the family I grew up in, okay? Um, This is how I see things. I am not in any way diminishing what happened to Black people in this country and happens to Black people every day. I think most of my Black friends have a lot more shit coming at them every day than I do, although I have quite a bit of racist stuff coming at me too, excuse my language. I'm not diminishing it. I'm answering the question of what can we do to change things? And I'm talking about building allyship. And when language is used that makes a whole lot of us feel as if we're not really part of this conversation, um, it's off-putting and it doesn't, um, it's just hard, you know, it's just, you know, are you black or white or are you not a person, you know? So that's what I'm talking about, allyship. I'm not in any way diminishing the horrificness of what has happened to people of African blood in this country from the get-go up until, you know, this afternoon. And I, I'm sorry if anybody would hear it that way because that's not what I'm saying. So I'm done again. Uh, you've got three hands, Michael. Okay. Okay, let me go ahead then. I will call on Pam Hill. Uh, go ahead, Pam. Go ahead and unmute. Okay, good uh, Good evening. Um, first off, I've been listening and paying it very good, very much paying attention to everything that's been said. And one of the most important things that Michael said from the very beginning is, is, is what I've it's education is very important, whether we teach it, it's taught at home, whether it's taught at school, where it's taught, it doesn't matter, but it is. Because when you introduced this whole thing with four score and seven years ago, our fathers, our four founding fathers, fought forth on this continent, a new nation, I started reciting it. Oh, Jesus. But um, we are not all created equal. And I don't care what that line says. We are not all created equal and until we all acknowledge that it's not going to change we all have our own life experiences and life abilities and what we do in life but education is so important to understand that it's not going to change until we want it to change we can want it to change but if we don't want it i don't want okay we, we can want it to change but we have to make it change. We have to work at the change. We have to really get to the meat of why black people weren't given a golden invitation, why the Native Americans were chased off their land, why the Japanese were put in internment camps, why were we all treated like we were second-class citizens, but the lines in the Declaration of Independence and the Emancipation say we are all created equal. Because when the Declaration of Independence was written, it was all it was written for the white landowners because they all had slaves. 
Maybe a couple of them didn't. But most of them had slaves. And they they were the only ones that were allowed to vote. So until we until we are educated to the point where we understand what that constitution means or those lines in that constitution mean and those lines in that preamble mean, and whatever, whatever, until we understand, all of us understand, whether we're black, white, Japanese, English, wherever we're from, we're not going to change anything until we want it to change. We have to make it change. We have to really think about how do we go about educating people. I get it from the doctor's office. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a black woman who's blind, who's 63 years old. But so I'm told, oh, if you don't change this, you're going to be diabetic. Well, I've never been diabetic. Or if you don't change, if you don't lose some weight, you're going to get sicker. Well, no, that's not true. But because I'm black, I get treated differently at the doctor's office. But I educate people. You have to, education is important. I did my own DNA. I am black, Native American, and a little bit of white thrown in there. We we all mixed up, most of us who were born here. We're all mixed up. I didn't say all of us. I said most of us. We're all mixed up. So, But we have to learn, number one, to accept who we are as people and then learn to accept who they are as people. We're not going to, we, we can only make the change in our, we can make the, we have to make the change in how we look at the world as people and then we can educate the rest of the world. We will never, we were never meant to be free. Never. The, well, I'm watching what's going on in the Hispanic community right now. It, it, it's sad. It is sad to see that they're being shipped all over the all over the country because people want to make a point. It is sad to see black people still being beaten and treated differently where the laws of the country are concerned. It's sad to see that other people of color and are treated differently because of the way they look or how they talk or if they're blind or if they can see or whatever. But we have to figure out a way to educate and to change, number one, ourselves, and number two, change how to educate and change what goes on around us. And and, and that's how I look at it. We, we, if we don't, we're, gonna, we, we're always going to have racism. People, we're not taught. <laughs> kids don't come out racist. Somebody is teaching them. <laughs> so we have to figure out a way to not only educate ourselves, but to educate those around us, and it, it takes one person, and that one person tells one other person, and that one other person tells two other people, and we get this boulder rolling down a hill, and, and we, we see the change happening. And until that happens, we're going to be having this discussion over and over and over and over again, and I'm done. <laughs> All right. Any more hands, right? Yes, we have. You've got two more. You have Mary Her Mary Heroyan. Go ahead. Mary. Okay, thank you. I had to unmute. Um, so sometimes it's almost what we're not taught, which is perhaps as destructive as what children are taught. And for a country with as much diversity as we have in the history that we have, 
we don't know our history. <clears throat> it's never been taught fully and properly and accurately ever. Children don't know history. And we see today when, you know, parents are up in arms because they're, you know, <laughs> um, paranoid or fearful or resentful of some change in curriculum that their children are going to be getting, you know, some learning things that they don't have to learn or going to make them feel guilty about being white as if it's an inaccurate history. Um, you know, how do we get through to white parents that the, the history that we're talking about that needs to be taught is, is um, you know, it's the history of this country. It's true. It's accurate. And that it, don't feel so fearful about it. Don't feel so resentful about it or angry about it. How do we get through to the parents? Because the future is are the children. That's the future. That's, that's where we can maybe have a chance of really strengthening the foundation or cleaning up the, the poison in the foundation. You know, the, the analogy that Regina gave is, is truly, I mean, it's perfect. How do we strengthen the foundation? It's, it, it comes from, from educating children, generation upon generation, of what the, this nation's history really is. But how do we get through to the parents? I'm done. Thank you. Okay. Um, and one more hand. Vida Zavoli, go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. I just want to add to what can we do now? And there is this terminology being thrown around, uh, you know, but it is real, unconscious bias. And so I think one of the things that we can do now is for each of us to acknowledge that we do have biases. And, you know, even if you don't say it out loud, if we say it to ourselves and we acknowledge it and work on changing it, I think that would go a long way. Thank you. Thank you. No more hands, Michael. So let me throw out a couple of other things to in, in reaction to some of what uh, what has been. Uh, I, I I I love uh, Regina's analogy. I I think uh, uh, things that Mary talked about too, and what we've talked about is this is teaching and t educating. Uh, that seems to be the theme that we have uh, running running uh, to. I think that is very important. Uh, when Mary was talking, it brought back the memory. She was talking about the history. It brought back the memory of when I was in, I was in, in high school. Um, we we learned uh, we learned Texas history, we learned American history, 
and we learned world history. And even back then, it, 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 we, we learned about slavery in America because they went through chronologically uh, of what happened. Uh, in the history book that we used, it wasn't an in-depth book, but it, it, it chronicled the years that the Civil War happened, Reconstruction. We learned all of those, all of those things, in in high school, and in in at my high school, it was taught by uh, a white lady. God rest her soul, Miss Hancock. She was a wonderful, wonderful lady. Uh, we got to certain parts of the history. I can remember her crying one day in in the class. But the truth, she wanted to be taught, wanted that to be taught to to all of us. We had a we had a, an integrated class, but she wanted the truth to be taught, and she did not uh, shy from from presenting the lessons as they were. So if that happened way back then, my question is why you know. What's wrong with what's wrong with having history, the truth of history, being taught today? Uh, why is there such a fear of of teaching history as it happened in our schools today? Uh, what we what we have now are a lot of psychologically deficit, psychological deficits in each uh, uh, ethnicity, because we're looking at our own particular characteristics, we're measuring ourselves against somebody else, and it's holding us back, uh, to to look at uh, Regina's example, it's holding us back from being the nation we could be because we're focusing on our own psychological deficits and our character. We're measuring ourselves against somebody else. And then the other aspect of where we are in the in the whole systematic uh, racist, racist phenomenon is it's about it's about power. The 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 people in power will dictate what's being taught, what's being read, and even they want to dictate what you think. So we have to be careful in in looking at who's in power and what they're trying to feed us in terms of of what what we think. I'm I'm big on reality. You live what you live is your reality, but when when you step back and you see what goes on around you and what happens to people in all neighborhoods, cities, towns of all racial ethnicities, look at what's the look at the truth and and and, and determine for yourself what is reality. 
and and I believe that until we can teach each other or educate each other and look at each other as individuals, we will never even begin to break down walls of racism. You have to get to people's heart. It's in the heart. It starts in the heart. I, I agree with Frank when he says that, you know, because I'm not, you know, a person may be, may not be in the clan or he may not be a part of this group or, you know, he not spout uh, racist rhetoric. But if you don't treat people as people, you might be a part of the system. So, so we we have to we have to begin to look at each other as people. That's one of the things I, I I admire about what we try to do at ACB. We we are looking at people for the most part, you know, for the most part, and I'm quite to qualify that. For the most part, we look at each other as people. We have we have elevated people to positions based on their merit, not based not based on their not based on popularity, and and that's a good thing. ACB can serve as a model for for other organizations. Now, I'm not saying ACB is perfect. I'm going to be honest about that, but when I look overall, I can see where we've done some things that that can serve as a model for other organizations and even to a degree uh, even this this country because we have we have placed people in places based on as I said their popularity but on merit so we can continue to do that yes we're working on projects to 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 expand uh what we do to bring leaders forth in in the organization not based not based on anything except their merit their expertise expertise their desire to serve so Gabe you have any closing words and we're at 10 minutes to the hour Michael and you got one hand whenever you want to take oh. it okay well Let's take the hand, and, uh, and uh, Gabe and Cheryl can close us out. Sure. Um, 608, ending in 219. I think that's Peter. Uh, go ahead. Hi, Michael. This is Peter Heidi. <clears throat> that, hey, um, I mean, I'm, I'm listening tonight and thinking the one of the things that we can do, <clears throat> especially in um, uh, the, the white communities, is in our local congregations, First of all, we need to acknowledge the uh, the narrative that has maintained white superiority within within the Christian message. Um, and uh, when we when in in the safety of that place, I mean the places where we worship are, are should be those places where we are able to speak most most freely, and um, and be able to call call out the the um uh the white agenda um 
and and claim that place of um, we we are we are all we are all created equal. That none of us have been created in an unnatural way. That we we've all come into the world the same way. Um, once we're in the world, that that our equality may not be there, but that um, we need we we can speak out in our in our faith communities and um, and call out those narratives that that are not proclaiming um, the equality that God would have us live with. Um, I, I'm Amen. I'm uh, I, I think that uh, yeah I mean especially in in the face of uh, white Christian nationalism. Um, that um, we we have a voice in our local in our local worship places, and um, and we need to use them. Thank you. Totally agree, Reverend to Reverend. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that. Okay, um, okay. So, so um, all right, go ahead and close her out, guys. Gabe, Cheryl. So. Do you want me to go first, Cheryl? Yes. Please. I'll be okay. <laughs> I just want to say uh, thank you because we have been asking a, a recurring question: What can we do? I want to thank everyone who is participating in this call and actually listening on ACB Media because you, we here, are all doing what at least taking the first step towards embracing and learning through critical race theory and under better understanding though not the happy <laughs> you know uh, uh what's the word uh, uh, fairy tale uh story that we want to learn probably a little bit more harsh but it is the reality and the truth needs to be acknowledged uh and uh and if there's something that needs to be fixed, it, it can only be fixed once we bring it up and we start dealing with it. I want to close with a very um, powerful example that I did want to share. I, I'm going to look for the information and I'm going to pass it along to Cheryl so Cheryl can share it with everyone. Um, Anthony and I listened to uh, the daily podcast a few weeks ago. They had um, this interview uh, and I admire these people. Um, they're white people who are actually um, working with a, uh, I think it's a university out of Louisiana. I don't know if it's LSU. Uh, in a project in which they are descendants of uh, people who are owners of plantations in Colorado and Louisiana and Mississippi and actually getting information to trace uh, a lot of the um, black slaves who uh, were, uh, you know, part of those of those uh, territories, and they're tracing down to find the descendants of those people to start a project, a collaboration between basically the descendants of the owners of the land and the descendants of the of who were the slaves of those same lands and that's a i think that's a very beautiful and very exemplary project wow thank you so much so i want to say thank you to michael and gabe and everyone else who um 
contributed to this discussion. Again, it's, it's a difficult discussion. It's an ongoing discussion and we really appreciate everybody coming here and feeling comfortable and welcomed to stay part of the conversation and to speak honestly. Um, I also want to extend an invitation. So the Multicultural Committee is sort of set for now, but that doesn't mean that we are not open to working with anybody who wants to work with us. So I just, I really want everybody to hear me. You do not have to be a committee member in order to have an idea to come to us and to talk about it and for us to work with you to figure out how to realize your idea. So open invitation, please. If, if you want to work on something or you have some ideas, we are open and we are truly welcoming you to come and share those and let's work on and making those a reality. Um, and the last thing I wanna say, the book that we will be discussing on November 17th as part of the focus call discussion is called The Firekeeper's Daughter. And the author is Angeline, uh, I'm gonna say Bully. And we will send out that information to the different lists so folks can read it and join us again for that conversation. So thank you very much. What yeah. time on the 17th? It's probably going to be at 8.30. 8.30 Eastern. Eastern time. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and I would just jump in and say that if you want to reach out to the Multicultural Affairs Committee, if you have ideas, send an email to community at acb.org, and they will help you get in touch with uh, Cheryl, the chair of the committee.